Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza. So look, we haven't done one of these in a little while. So it's Nick and I doing an economic chit chat where we are discussing some of the things that we look at to try to figure out and forecast what might be happening in Canada around interest rates and property prices because the headlines to us are pure garbage. So uh, we look around at stuff, we kind of analyze it, break it down for ourselves over the last 10 years or so, we've been sharing that with Rockstar members. And on this episode of the podcast, we're going to just give you a little bit of a flavor of some of that kind of stuff. So we just go back and forth pretty informally. You're not going to be able to see the charts that we're referencing, of course. So we'll, we, we did our best to try to describe some of the data points that we're sharing. So hopefully you enjoy this stuff. If you are a real estate nerd like we are, um, this is the kind of stuff that we use to try to predict one of the variables that we have in real estate that we cannot control. So, and one of those are interest rates. So we can't control interest rates. So access to credit and interest rates are what we consider the two biggest variables that will dictate the price of real estate. So there's of course demand and population growth and all that kind of stuff, but access to credit and interest rates in Canada are definitely two of the biggest things to be aware of and to watch. And we never know when access to credit might tighten up or loosen up, but we do our best to try to kind of figure it out for ourselves. And interest rates, those are actually a little bit easier to figure out, and you'll hear us discussing some of that stuff um, on today's episode. This all started, by the way, in 2008 when the financial crisis hit. And if you're younger than like 35, you might not even have paid attention to it. But when that hit, that caught us off guard and we, our family had been caught off guard a couple times by different economic events, and we just thought, enough's enough, let's try to figure this stuff out for ourselves. And it was by doing that initial research back then that allowed us in about 2000, late 2009, early 2010, when everyone was telling us interest rates were going to spike up, we were saying that we don't think interest rates are going to go up at all, that they can't go up. And it ended up being pretty accurate because interest rates didn't go up for about 10 years. So it really kind of served us well and we stuck with it. And that's why we share this stuff. So there's no way on this type of podcast that we can share everything that we look at, but hopefully this gives you a little discussion or a little flavor of some of the things we discuss. So Nick and I kind of banter back and forth. And look, if you like this kind of stuff and you want to hang out with real estate investors who are looking at this kind of stuff and buying properties and dealing with real estate and facing all the challenges that real estate brings, but overcoming those challenges, you can check out the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. That's where we host a whole bunch of classes. We have a monthly paper-based newsletter that goes out to members with all this kind of information in it. We also, in that newsletter, share different member stories of what different investors are doing so we can all learn from each other. We have a special audio just for Rockstar Inner Circle members that goes out to them specifically every month. So if this is something that you want to explore and learn more about real estate, even if you're not quite ready to purchase your first income property, you can check out the Rockstar Inner Circle membership by going to this URL. It's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. At that site, you can see all the benefits that you get as a Rockstar Inner Circle member. We're really proud of this thing. We've been had no idea it would get as big as it's gotten. We feel blessed and grateful that it's all worked out the way it has. So you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member to learn everything about the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live. Um, Nick, can you hear me? 
Yeah, I can hear you, and I'm raring to go. I'm really excited. And I'm, I can hear see. you, I'm here, and everything else. Okay. So listen, I found this uh, um, headline. It says, the housing crash begins. I'm trying to see the date on this thing. It's from Canadian Business, and the date is, hold on, let me move away from the mic for a second. October 1st, 2012. So the housing crash began, apparently, Nick, in on October 1st in 2012. Like, it's the main headline on Canadian Business Magazine. And this is just kind of, the, the, these are the headlines that completely make me laugh because we're in a scenario now where we're seeing the same headlines again because year-over-year year sales are down um, and prices are at, and prices in Toronto. You shared that RBC report with me and prices in Toronto are up like 2.6% or whatever, like on average. But sales are down and they're down enough. I think it's like 10% or 12% or something like that. And they're down enough that it's going to make for great headlines. So over the next few weeks, if we haven't already seen them, we're going to just see these awesome like real estate doomsday headlines. And who knows, maybe it is the beginning of some long plateau in real estate or even a correction. But um, from what we're about to talk about uh, today, I just don't see it quite yet as a long term kind of thing. I don't uh, I mean, I just I don't envy their position with those magazines. A lot of those magazines aren't published as frequently as they used to be. But I don't know if Canadian and they're business thin now. was yeah. I don't know if it was a weekly one or not. But but through some other thing, I got a free recently. I got a free um, subscription to the Economist that keeps showing up now. And now I probably never get rid of it. But it, uh, it, it like that's a weekly magazine, you know. So like the amount of content that those guys got to put out, it's not easy. So they need those headlines constantly. So they just you know take a stab at anything, at anything they can, whether it's real estate or something else to 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 sell you know. To sell books, but I mean, look, there's some people that have been calling for the real estate crash for longer than that, so it's gonna they're gonna be right sooner or later. And I'm not saying, like, to, to be clear, you know, we're not saying that it, you know it's it's gonna go straight up forever. That's not the case. But uh, no, but, but we just want to be realistic about it, like you know. But it's also a load of crap, like so to say that you know, it, I, and I don't know if it's Canadian business and when they're talking about the the real estate market, like so much, so many of the headlines are driven about the real estate market nationally, which is a load of crap because like there's different things going on in different areas. And then even if if you bring it down, like provincially it doesn't work. If you bring it down to the, the greater Golden Horseshoe area, it doesn't work. If you bring it down to Toronto, it still doesn't work yeah, because price points. Yeah. Yeah. Like like so much of what's happened recently in, in Toronto. So so these are all backward looking numbers. The backward looking numbers with the the drop in transactions and prices and stuff like that, it's coming from a segment of the market, not another segment. Like the condo market last year was on fire. Now the condo market this year is like going to slow down hopefully it does it wouldn't be good to, for it to continue to you know on the pace that it's continued but but you know so so when people yeah, say the market in whole it's kind of it's it, there's always more it, to it right? you kind of your context will also justify what your own conclusions are because That's if true. you're in the 1.5 to 2.5 million dollar market almost right across toronto that market kind of has stalled yes. and come down a little bit and somebody recently told me they're like hey well tom real estate is down like it's a fact and i'm like well real estate is down in a price point of 1.5 to 2.5 million if you and now let me ask you the next question is it down year over year like compared to last year or two years ago or compared to five years ago because if i compare it to five years ago i bet it's actually still up then that's what makes kind of real estate crazy but at the same time for the investment properties that we work with investors on at the around the 450 to 500,000, prices aren't down at all. Prices have not stalled. And in markets that we're in, we're seeing multiple offers. So like we're seeing multiple offers again in Hamilton, Niagara region. Like these these are yeah. things we didn't see like six same, months ago. But the same thing happened 
in Toronto last year when, when, when everyone was saying the market was down. If you go to the smaller segment of the market, the starter home category, so it was condos, it actually wasn't down. Right. Yeah. And the vast, yeah, just, and then even you condos, basically can't win. Well, you can't, but you can't even paint condos with a broad brush because there's different segments of the condo market, yeah. right? Like if you're talking Liberty Village or you're going uptown or if you're going east someplace and, or you're in Scarborough, and like, I so also, you can't really do it. And I also think it's such a lazy way to analyze real estate because really when you're looking at real estate, I'm looking at real estate because you want to own good assets in your life. I don't care about the price year over year. I want to know is my real estate asset base paying for itself? Or is it not paying for itself? So like, is it cash flow positive or is it not cash flow positive? And can I hold on to it for a period of five and 10 years? The price point just kind of is the weakest. It's the easiest and sexiest argument to talk about, but it's also the weakest argument or uh, piece of information to talk about with real estate. So it's, it's, it's fun to talk about price points. It gets the headlines, but it's just kind of like, it's not the big picture. Um, today, okay, so let, let me just transition over to what I wanted to talk about today. Today, we're gonna share some, U.S. specific economic data. And the reason I want to share some U.S. specific economic data is because it is the biggest economy in the world and we happen to be sitting right next to it. So it greatly affects what our Bank of Canada does in here. So the, some of the information that we're going to talk about today, the reason we're sharing it is just because it has a direct impact on the decisions that the Bank of Canada in this country is going to take. And whatever the decisions the Bank of Canada in this country takes affects the interest rates that you and I have to deal with when we're buying properties in Toronto, Barrie, Durham region, Kitchener, Cambridge, Waterloo, Brantford, wherever it is. So this stuff has a direct impact on us. And the reason, and I think some people, I like to kind of remind myself anyway, the U.S. economy, um, and this is 2017 data, it's 24% of the world's GDP. So it's 24% of the world's GDP. The next biggest one is China at 15%. So the U.S. is still really big. And Canada, for context, is 2.08%. So we have an economy that is 2% of the world GDP, but we are sitting right next to an economy that is 24% of world GDP. So that like has a massive benefit to us. It's almost like we are sitting... we are. I don't know if it's blessed or not blessed, but we're sitting, we're this tiny little economy that's net, and we're in a country that has a lot of different laws and I think social services that really kind of support this country really well. And we're sitting right next to the world's biggest economy and it has a direct impact on us. So that's why we kind of focus on the U.S. when we're talking economics so much. Well, look, I mean, what's happening with the U.S. dollar and our versus our dollar it, it directly impacts everything we do. So I, you know, I'm going to talk about my patio set. All right. So this is very important. Because yeah. you, you spent big money life. on your patio set. So I, 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 you, I you, we bought this you, patio set, but we, we. You the, didn't buy the patio set that's going to rust when it rains. The, uh, no. The, well, I bought that I, patio set. My first patio set was from Zellers. And then when it started raining, <laughs> I guess I left it out over the winter and didn't cover it. But it just started all rusting. Well, Dye's like 160 bucks from so, Zellers. So Dye bought our first patio furniture. It was just it wasn't a set. It was it wasn't the table. It was just the the little two seater and two seats in a table. Same thing. It was from Zellers when she bought it. I'm like, you know, it's not aluminum, right? <laughs> so <laughs> she's like, why does that I, even matter? So I guess I probably learned from you. But anyway, so I went to buy this patio set. The place was closed all uh, winter. They had just reopened by chance, and I went um, I went and bought it. 
and I'm like, I was asking for a discount. You know, I was trying to negotiate a bit. They're like, look, I'll be honest with you. The prices are going, we're putting the prices up. We're in the middle of it. You know, and I thought it was a line, right? So I had to go pay the balance because I didn't have the right card to pay the balance. Like a few days later, all, a number of the prices across, or almost all the prices across the board of the patio furniture all went up, including our table. And the reason it went up is, and they were telling me that day, they're like, look, the Canadian dollar, we can't go and buy and, 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 and replenish this uh, this set now. Our cost has gone up just simply because of the Canadian dollar, if nothing else, because of the lowering Canadian dollar. So it impacts us at home. The replacement value of the stuff that we're doing, whether or not it's homes or other things, our replacement value is going up because our dollar is getting crushed, right? So that's why, if, if nothing, I mean, it applies to more than that, but if nothing more than that is why it applies so directly to us, right? Same with the cost of gas. The reason the cost of gas has gone up is because our dollar's gone down. The only thing we can do is hopefully Disney carries on those promotions where they accept the Canadian dollar at par. That's our only hope. At those, we can t- just at go those to ticket prices, I know. <laughs> those food prices. You know, I watched the I watched the commercial. You know, the commercial looks awesome because it 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 is awesome. It's like it says seven. I think it's. Like I want to go to Disney when I see that. Commercial. No, but it says like seventy nine bucks a day or something, and I'm like, that's great. When you but then when you think about it, it's per, per person, person per day per day. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, because my tickets, with no food, I'm no like, yeah. no accommodation. Like my tickets weren't seventy nine yeah. bucks a day. How much did I pay for those damn? Things? I'll never forget going with uh, my family. I guess it was like five six years ago. Walking up to Disney, we got the flight kind of landed right on time we got so we checked in and we thought oh we'll just go to the park tonight and we get to the park and it's like 4 p.m and i just remember at wonderland you used to get like the nighttime pass yeah, or whatever yeah, so yeah. i walk up and i'm like yeah it's for a family of four and we'll just take like you know the nighttime pass for this park and the lady screams back not screams back but through the little intercom thing she's like okay that'll be like 484 dollars us and i was like oh no no like not for like three days i don't want the three-day package i just really want in tonight for this one park not like a multi-park pass or anything and she's like no that's that's the cost and i look at my watch i guess at that time it's not even four it's like 5 30 and uh, close at like nine or something maybe 10 that park it was the hollywood studios or mgn whatever they call yep. that thing now and uh i'm like oh my god and I look down at my daughter and she's just looking up at me and I'm like, oh, I, 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 I realize I just have to pay it. And oh, I paid yeah. like, and that was US dollars. Yeah. And I paid that to go into the park for like, th- and we didn't even stay until 10. I think we stayed till like 830 and everyone's like, okay, let's get out of here. I did, um, you know, when I was at the park, I gave multi, because I forget what, I, like everything you buy, right, is like fairly expensive. So I would make comments to the, the workers about some of the things like I'd buy, you know, a snow cone. Well, I just went to Disney on Ice with the kids and bought a snow cone, $20. It's wow. twenty bucks, but it came in an Olaf cup, wow. right? So it's twenty bucks. Twenty dollars yeah. for tap water, 20. frozen tap water with some food coloring yeah. over. I it. think the con- the cotton candy because it came with a plastic crown, twenty bucks. Oh, everything, and then the, the light up, the light up. Yeah, I love those thing. light up things that spin around. You know how much they were this time? Forty yeah. bucks. I'm like forty bucks, really? I'm like, wow, that's like those margins yeah, are awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, at the park, I would make comments about to the people. I'm like, hey, look, uh, so just about it, things being expensive. And I have so much respect for their workers. Not a single person took me up on the opportunity to say like, yes, it is or whatever. They all responded. I forget now the responses, but they were very good. I swear they were taught to how to respond to that be. comment. It was very good. Like I was purposely trying to go out of my way to try to get someone to say something. It was great, man. I've, I've, I have respect for the way they run those things for sure. Okay, so now that we, we kind of killed the Disney story, let me get back onto the economic stuff. Is that um, Just as we mentioned, because the U.S. economy is so big, um, we pay attention to it a lot. And the biggest thing we've been paying attention to are interest rates. Interest rates have been so low that it's been – you have to go back to, to 2008 since this low period began. So it's been a decade, um, basically 0% interest rates up until about the end of 2015. And now they're up in the States to about 2.25 or so. That's kind of where the U.S. Fed funds rate is now. So we've had like this 
over a decade of like super low rates. And the reason that's important is that even with these super low rates, the average gross domestic product or average economic growth since 2009 in the U.S. annually has been 2.23%. And the reason that's important is that the average GDP growth since 1980 has been 3.2%. So entire percentage point higher, so one percentage point higher, or in percentage terms, what would that be? Almost 40% higher growth. So even with super low rates, they're not getting economic growth in that country. And this is an important thing for us to know as Canadians because they're not getting economic growth, but what they are doing is continuing to add to their debt via annual deficits. And if you're not getting the growth to go along with the accumulation of more debt, when you compare the debt growth to the economic size, it's looking like a worse and worse picture every single year because the debt is accumulating faster than the economy is growing. And that's kind of a bad situation because the U.S. is the biggest economy in the world. They sell their U.S. treasuries as bonds, as the best you as the best kind of government bond that you can buy. But if they continue to accumulate debt, you got to wonder, are people around the world who buy these things going to continue to have confidence in the U.S.? And this is just kind of something for us to, I don't have the answers to that, just something for us to be aware of that their economy is not growing fast, even with super low rates, and they're adding more and more debt on with an economy that is growing at a slower pace. So it's just something for us to be aware of kind of in general. And then I want to share just kind of this other trend that we're seeing on top of this that kind of raised our eyebrows a little bit. But Nick, I don't know if I'm making that clear, but basically the message is super low interest rates for like a decade have not gotten super high economic growth. And it's something to be aware of because it's going to ultimately dictate U.S. monetary policy down there, which will trickle up to the Bank of Canada's decisions up here. Yeah, no, that all makes sense. And what happened last year was a lot of their growth. I mean, from everything that I've looked into and read, a lot of the growth is from the Trump tax cuts. And it's short-lived, and now that those tra- tax cuts have kind of, the initial surge of those tax cuts have kind of worked its way through the system, um, the growth is faltering again, right? So that, without, and it's not like they're going to be able to do that again. So last year might not even be a good reflection of the actual growth. So we'll kind of see, kind how, of that, see, yeah, yeah. see how it goes. And, and, and it kind of gets scary when you look at the way they're doing, their their congressional budget offices, office does the projections of what is going to happen in the U.S. economy. They base their projections off the U.S. economy not having another recession for another 10 years. And the reason, and we can all kind of like, no one has a crystal ball, so they can't be right. But the reason that that is a little scary is that we are about three, four months away from the longest economic expansion in U.S. recorded history. So to say that like we're not going to have another recession for another 10 years after we're at the second longest economic expansion since the recession of 2008, 2009, 2010 is kind of being super optimistic in my eyes. Um, but maybe they're right. Like may- maybe they're right. But that's just something to kind of to be aware of. So the thing that raised our eyebrows was that, you know, from everything that we kind of study and read, we we don't think economic growth or inflation, which is important to growth. I can't believe I just said inflation is important. Inflation sucks, but inflation is important for what the way our economy is set up for economic growth. Um, but it's not driven by like more money in the system or a, or a larger money supply like you know, that has been attempted, that low interest rates have been around for 10 years. Um, 
new capital has been in injected uh, via quantitative easing that went through the banking system and ultimately into the stock market. And it kind of drove the stock market, but didn't drive the overall economy as kind of proven in the uh, GDP results. Growth and inflation, in our opinion, is uh, driven more by psychology and demographics. It's more, it's driven by people believing they are doing well. So they'll go out and kind of spend some money and ultimately by large demographic changes. And there is this massive demographic time bomb that's going on in the States right now that really doesn't get discussed too much. So I just want to kind of share some of those numbers. Were you going to say something? No. So check this out. The U.S. baby boomers are reaching retirement age right now at 4 million people a year. And that 4 million mark is going to last for the next 10 years, which means that they think the U.S. Congressional Budget Office thinks there is going to be another 10-year economic expansion at the exact same time that 40 million baby boomers are going to be retiring. So, like, I don't know who I can speak to at their office just on why they think those two things are going to continue. But when you have 40 million, so for perspective, there's 30 million baby boomers in the States right now that are retired in, at the uh, year 2019. In the next 10 years, that's going to more than double. So it's going to go from about 30 million today to about 70 million people. Like the population of Canada is like, what, 36 million? So we're talking more than double Canada is going to be retirement age over the next 10 years. And this is a big deal because the demographics really kind of dictate what people, I don't know if anyone has ever lived or hung out with people who retire, but generally people who retire or go into retirement spend less. They're not getting the brand new car. They're not getting a brand new house and buying furnishings for the, the whole house. So now you have like 40 million people who are likely going to go into retirement and not spend more money to drive the economy. Just by the nature of their situation, they're likely going to spend less money. But if the millennials can come in and get jobs, doesn't that counteract that a lot? Because they're the second biggest and they're quite close to actually the baby boomer generation. No, I guess, I guess they can. I just don't know the number of baby of like, I don't know if there's 40 million, million the of them years. coming in. Yeah, and even if that. there are, if the, if the GDP of the States hasn't been, strong now and then now we're going to throw in over the next 10 years 40 million more people retiring i don't think that's like an economic boot like i don't think that's a positive for economic growth so even if the millennials come in i, I just don't know if they can offset that that would be an interesting data point to find so we should I, we should actually dig that up just to see how many millennials because i think the youngest millennials now are about 23 22 23 I think that's the kind of the end of the millennial generation. Yeah, so they're coming in. And so there was an article from, I mean, the Pew Research Center, actually, uh, last year. They were going to overtake baby boomers as America's largest living generation in the next couple of years. So it looks like by about 2020. They're kind of close to the same now. But but it doesn't mean, like a lot of them are, might be in the workforce already. So it doesn't mean the 40 million of them. Because they're, they're, there's about 83 million, they're saying in the States, millennials. So it doesn't mean 40 million of them are going to come in to the workforce in the next four years. That's for sure. Yeah, it, 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 there's the, it would there's be helpful chart. if it would be helpful if they did. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, it would be helpful if they did. The only thing, the, the thing that strikes me with that, like even if they did, is what, what's interesting is I, I, it's, it'll be interesting to see what really happens too because what's been happening, that um, Benjamin Tall shared that one CIBC chart. Do you remember it about the, where in Canada where employment growth and employment decline was and employment growth of 55 plus was had actually increased and employment 
uh, growth in uh, their employment numbers from uh, younger generations as was decreasing. And he explained it. He's like, what's happening is people are staying in the work. They're living longer, so they're staying in the workforce longer. That are holding on to these jobs, so the young people can't get these jobs. And these these people that maybe even at this age where they expect them to exit the workforce, maybe they don't. Maybe they stay in the workforce, but they're not spending money because because reti- to, to your point, they're not going to spend money because retirement's coming. Things like that, anyways. Yeah, and 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 and. When you look at the, I actually have the data here. When you look at the labor force participation in the, uh, rate in the states, even with the millennials in the workforce today, it's at like at the lowest yeah, rate right. since like 1965. Yeah, I forgot about that. So like you're if right. we just look at labor force participation, that kind of goes to our millennial thinking that like maybe it's not really offsetting because the labor force participation rate has gone down over the last 10 years and now just plateaued. Like it hasn't, it hasn't tri- t- uh, ticked up at all. Yeah. So here's the numbers. Births underlying each generation, number of US births by year and generation. So boomer they're saying seventy six million, Gen X fifty five, millennial sixty two, and this uh eighty one to ninety six from the Pew Research Center. So yeah, there it's not it's about the same as the, what they're calling Gen X and and it's still lower than, than the boomer. So yeah, it's still gonna be it's gonna be an impact for sure. And and take a look at this. When we pulled up this data, the average baby boomer net worth, listen to these numbers. They have $24,000 in bonds, $269,000 in stocks, $300,000 in equity in their house, $107,000 in savings, $264,000 in retirement income, and $120,000 in other assets. Right? When you say this, this was like some research pulled up by Real, uh, Real Vision TV, by the way. So it's, it's actually, these guys are well thought out, good research. Um, the median, that was the average. So, uh, so I'll just repeat one number. Equity in the house was $300,000. If you go to the median, Baby boomer net worth, so not the average, but the median, you see how much the high end or the super rich skew the numbers because the the average equity in the house was 300,000. The median equity of baby boomers in their house is 53,000. So from 300,000 to 53,000. Stocks, 269,000 goes down to the median, 45,000. Savings, 107,000 goes down to 18,000. Retirement income goes from 260 or retirement savings specifically goes from 264,000 to 44,000. Like the median baby boomers don't have a lot of retirement money. So not only are they going to spend less because they're going into retirement, the money that they have to spend isn't even there if they wanted to. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of screwed. Right? I was going to say it's kind of scary. I, I didn't know how it's going to impact things I, you know that that the, you know what what people have been talking about for a long time uh, you know and, and us from looking at the numbers have, have seen it as well this whole social security thing it's it's you know it's in the relatively near future now it's going to come to head and we're going to understand if this thing's going to survive yeah. or not right? you mean, yeah so in the states if they're really yeah. going to go bankrupt with their social security yeah, yeah, or not because yeah, yeah, with yeah. all these people if these people with with they, they with start running a negative they started running a negative right about last year yeah, so, so we'll see it's going to be yeah. But here's so I'm going to bring it back to Canada and what what I how we think this might affect Canadian real estate. But I guess the thought is like, what happens if there's like a stock market correction any of any severity and any of the savings they do have are likely in the public markets. Most people are invested in the public stock market. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, they don't own real estate outside their own home. They're not invested in the private equity markets. No, it's some mutual funds, some mutual, even yeah. index funds, whatever. What, what happens if there's now? like a, a massive stock market correction? Like they're just going to be wiped out. That, that would be the only good news for millennials right there. Because if it did, I shouldn't laugh about that. But if they did, the millennials would have the buying opportunity, at least in the stock market. I'm not talking real estate, right? Because if there was a big correction, it would present a buying opportunity anyway. 
maybe I shouldn't joke around on, on that kind of stuff. But anyway, I think that's what would happen. So retirement um, is coming. Baby boomers are 40 million of them. Labor force, uh, 40 million going into retirement over the next 10 years. Labor force participation rate is at the lower, lowest point since the 1960s. And the reason this is important is when we break down the GDP breakdown of the U.S., listen to this. 16% is government consumption. 17% is gross private domestic investment. Um, 68%, so almost 70% of U.S. GDP is personal consumption. So 70% of the U.S. economy is driven by personal consumption right at a time when 40 million people are going into their retirement age. So it just seems, oh, here's the labor force participation rate. Let me just make sure I have that data right. Yeah, it's the lowest point since the, it's tough to line that up. It's since the, Oh, was I said 60s. It looks like it's actually 1980. Yeah, lower, late 70s, late 1970s. As a be. percentage or as an as a actual number? It's an actual... Uh, no, they report it as a percentage. So it's like 62, 63% of the people who are in the labor force... Um, unable to work. Unable to work are not working. So they have the, the actual absolute number. Are not working? No, are working. Are. 95 million adult Americans are not in the labor force, basically. 95 million Americans Out of are- 300 and something. Yeah. Yeah, well, that are, makes sense. Are not yeah, in so the one, labor th- one third, just under one third somewhere. Yeah, so that all lines up then. And so- uh, and That's then, scary. And yeah, and what what Real Vision TV did on this uh, YouTube video, I'll give everyone the name of this YouTube video if you want to track it down, it's pretty cool. Um, they mapped U.S. labor force participation rate against things like just retail prices of gasoline, and there's like 100% correlation. Like the price of gasoline goes in direct correlation with how many people are in the labor force. And their thinking is that when people are in the labor force, they're spending money, spending money yeah. they're driving to work, it's driving the cost of gasoline. And when they're not, it comes down. So when if you look at around 2009, the price of gasoline or retail, uh, total, sorry, total retail sales, I should be making that clear, not the price of gas, the total retail sales volume of gasoline fell exactly in line with the labor force partition, uh, participation rate um, as it came down from about 2005, then again in 2009, and then it came all the way down um, to where it is today. Um, total gasoline retail sales came down at the same exact point. So it's just kind of like really interesting that like, you know, the GDP is often measured as like the the amount of money flushing around the system and, and, and you multiply that by the velocity of money or how fast people are spending it. But, but we just have all these people kind of retiring and the labor force participation rate and the velocity of money has the same correlation as well. Like as people retire, or sorry, as the labor force participation rate declines, the amount of money movement in the economy also declines. So we just kind of like have this big demographic trend where the labor force participation rate has come down over the last 10 years. So less, a smaller percentage of Americans who want to be working or I guess claim to want to work are, are not working. And then you have this retirement coming our way too. And if you map that against the amount of money that the U.S. has pushed into the system. So like if you do this like inverse relationship where you invert the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and map it against labor force participation rate, it's a really direct correlation. So, you know, like the $4 trillion that the U.S. pushed into the banking system via quantitative easing, when you map that against the labor force participation rate from the historic Fed balance sheet numbers and you invert it, they actually have this really kind of inline correlation, which makes me think if the labor force participation rate continues to decline, 
the U.S. Federal Reserve is going to push more money into the system to try to compensate for that. So uh, the name of that YouTube uh, video, by the way, um, it's Real Vision TV. If you Google up the coming retirement crisis, um, you'll see this Real Vision video. So it's called the coming retirement crisis. Just interesting information. So, uh, so, so bottom line is like, if you extrapolate out the U.S. labor force participation rate going forward over the next 10 years to include 40 million more people retiring and, and you subtract out of the labor force participation rate, we can guess that the U.S. is going to have to push in another $4 trillion into their economy. This is the big point for Canadians to me. Because if that many people, if there's this kind of correlation between U.S. labor force participation rate, whereas less people are participating in, participating in the labor force, and it maps to the inverted amount of quantity of funds via quantitative easing, easing that the Federal Reserve has pushed into the system, totally confusing everyone, but the point makes sense. Um, then, and they've done four trillion dollars of that, and they're trying to pull it back now. That's been kind of the QT or quantitative tight, uh, tightening. If if that kind of fails. And the, and the Fed has kind of talked about being patient with more interest rate increases and tapering some of their quantitative tightening a little bit. Didn't, they didn't say they're going to stop, but they might slow the pace of it. What happens if it reverses? And instead of pulling out the $4 trillion that they pushed into the system, what happens in the next year if they decide they need to push more money into the system and to the tune of another $4 trillion? Like, what does that do to the economy? Like, it, does, does that mean, like, are they doing that because like a, and I guess when would they do that? Would they do that if there's a big stock market correction? Would they then, then decide, okay, we're just going to push all this in? Or if just GDP growth doesn't take off? But there, the data does seem to line up that like this does have some probability of happening over the next 10 years. A lot of people are retiring. That's not going to be a big boost for the economy. And does that mean the U.S. Fed isn't going to stop the quantitative um, uh, easing that they've done, but instead they're going to just like double down on it? And I'll tie it back to Canada, but I guess that's my that's my big question. So if anybody has the answer to that, please email it to us here at Rockstar so we we, we can know in advance. No, it's I mean, look, it's 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 kind of interesting. I, I I was looking at something, uh, you know, as you were saying that, and what I found. Uh, pretty interesting is when you were talking about the, the quantitative easing and stuff you know because people always talk about well interest rates are going up so you know what's what's that doing and, and i wanted to look at the bank of canada prime rates and I, I pulled up this graph here and what i found interesting is is that rates have gone up a little bit over the last few years right they've gone up a little bit but they're they're still at a, if you remove from 2008 when the world financially almost went off a cliff so if you remove the from 2008 till they went when they started going up in what about 2000 16, I guess there was the first like quarter point raise or whatever it to is. To end of 2015. Was it in 2015? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you remove that that period of time, this chart goes back to about the 19, I don't know, 65 or maybe 60s or whenever they started tracking it here. So uh, in this, it's still today at an all-time low. Other than the last, you know, whatever, that period of time, that eight years, it's at a historic low from the mid-60s, mid to early 60s till now. Just barely because of 2002, it came right down to r close to where it is today, just a little bit higher than where it is yeah, today. Yeah, after the NASDAQ crash. Yeah, but it's at an all-time low. And people are talking about rates. So look, we've kept Yeah, we're rates. talking about like rates being up or yeah. high. So so you were talking about the quantitative easing and the the lack of growth and, and how they're expecting growth now, right? How we didn't get the, the recovery. So in Canada, we've had now 10 years of all-time low rates for a decade. Not for a little period of time, for a decade. 
and we haven't been able to get the growth that we're after either. So, you know, the, the chances of what you're talking about, this quantitative easing, if something hits the fan, like, you know, if maybe it's, the, you know, demographic cause it, which is entirely, you know, yeah, well, we've reasonable. been hearing about the demographic trends for years, but now it's like coming to fruition. Totally. And it's totally reasonable. So, you know, they can't do much with rates because they're at all-time lows. They can try to cut them a little bit more back down to the zeros where they were. But, I mean, there's going to have to be others, something else if something happens like that, right? So, um, yeah, that, that's that's just what I wanted to share because I, I didn't realize it was still at an all-time low outside of just... Like, well, I remember, measures. I think it was a, around the year 2007. We were getting, or 2008 maybe, Nick, I forget, but we were getting mortgages on some income property properties that like we were getting them for a while like 4.5 percent and we're like oh that's pretty good and i don't know if you remember right around that time maybe it was 2006 rates went up a little bit and all of a sudden we were getting mm. some interest rates at like five five yeah five and we were like oh well yeah we'll change the numbers quick we're kind of getting screwed let's can we get back to the fours because the fours are like glory land and now if anybody gets a, a mortgage or an interest rate at like 4.5 which was like glory land for us now it's like insulting like 4.5 percent like that's a ripoff oh yeah you know what i mean like the context has totally changed so when we look at this kind of stuff i guess like the way to summarize it from from our point of view or from i mean remember this all of this is our two cents like we we don't have there's no magical rocks or crystal ball that we have but if we look at it the u.s has the richest generation that they've ever had the baby boomers that have now become an aging population and this aging population will just naturally in our opinion decrease consumption in their economy at a time when their labor force is already at a low rate and that people are not in the labor force as much as they used to be. And this this is might increase the Fed's balance sheet because the Federal Reserve might say, oh my gosh, we're going to push more money into the system because of all this kind of stuff. And this is all happening at a time when the velocity of money, which is what economists track to see how fast people are spending money, is super low. And therefore, we're not getting any inflation in the economy, which economists want, because when the economy inflates, it kind of is an artificial way for it to grow so that debt looks less when you compare it to the growth. And so and we don't have any of that kind of growth or inflation happening. All of this happening with decreasing population growth in the U.S., which we haven't even talked about, but there is global decreasing population growth going on not increasing, and the U.S. has a decreasing population growth number as well. So naturally, they're not replenishing their population from natural means. So all of these kind of trends to me mean, yeah, man, there's some there's something coming our way, and I don't know exactly what it is, but it, to me, it still means I want to own good assets, I want to make sure they pay for themselves, and I want to kind of hold on to those assets for dear life because there's going to be ups and downs, like we're going through in the Toronto market now. Um but, uh, but, but with all these trends, if the U.S. Federal Reserve does say, holy crap, we are going to have to like lower interest rates a little bit and not continue to raise them, and we're going to have to put more money into the system, what happens to Canada? We're likely going to match that, no? Like, do you think Canada would say, oh, the U.S. is lowering interest rates, we're going to continue to keep them flat or raise them? Like, that's never happened in history. You, the Canada's always match whatever the U.S. does with some lag, but it yeah. always matches. Yeah, there's been I, I looked it up. Well, this was a few years ago when I was looking at that stuff up. At that time, a few years ago, there was only two times in history that the Bank of Canada was, had started a different trend than the Federal Reserve had going on. 
And, and it probably and, recorrected. And bo- both times they had to go, they had to revert back to the, to the trend of the Federal Reserve. Yeah, it's just too big of an economy. And our dollar. Yeah, we, we're totally dependent on it. Yeah, we're totally, we're totally dependent, dependent on it. Right? So, my, so my kind of thinking is this. Like, here's where I just go bananas. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to share something with you. I, I found all these charts. So look. So the You're ca- pretty impressed with yourself with these charts well, right You now. know what? Because I, I hadn't found this source before. So the Canada, can, so you were talking about assets, right? And owning assets. And, 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 and the, see, the, the thing about owning assets is it's whether it's real estate or something else. If it's something that holds its value. And, you know, if you're a believer in these long-term trends and you think these trends are going to continue, it's, in, in my opinion, it's like the best thing that you can do for yourself, whatever the asset is. And here's an example, like from 76, so from 63 to 76, the uh, Canada Consumer Price Index had, had raised from maybe, you know, it went from like 18 to, on this, on, on this chart, it was like 18 to 22 or something. Like it wasn't this huge jump. From 76, it just started this this trend line that basically goes up on about a 45, 50 to 55 degree angle, just starts going up straight off the chart. And it goes from whatever that number is, 22 to like 140. And this chart just keeps going up. And, and, and with the policies that you're talking about, like that's what they're doing. They're, they're raising the prices for inflation and for this type of stuff. And so the, the, the cost of everything has continued to increase. So if you own assets that can, that can are, uh, either hold their value or better yet pay for themselves, then it's it's valuable, right? Like it doesn't even have to be real estate, but dividend paying stocks. You know, now there's risk involved in that, but at least you're getting this cash flow component to the dividend paying stock. If it's like this stable company, you know, that it's, yeah, ni- the it's only nice re- because there's no CEO scandals and there's all this, and then it's, d- it's dependent on the bigger market. And there's, there's that's all that what stuff. I was going to say. But I, I'm just trying to use another example yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not just real estate because I know people are thinking, well, these guys are in real estate. Well, what else are they going to say? And people do use that example with me a, a lot. They'll say, well, it's Tom, not the like, same. It's not the yeah. same because you don't have an information advantage. You always talk about that. Like when you own a stock, you don't know what's well, going on. And it's the same. It's like it's like if you owned an apartment in a, you know a communist country when there's a hundred buildings being built. Every building, like like look Looks at the buildings, the, the buildings in Croatia, right from the communist yeah. era, they're all just yeah, they are pretty s- funny looking. They're buildings, just square man. concrete, yeah. right? So if, if, if they down- look like bunkers, yeah. So if downtown Toronto had one thousand buildings built and every building was a square and everything was the same, and like you who was the, the same- architect that built those things? Oh I will just build a not, rectangle not with much rectangular crea- windows. Creativity, but. Uh, and if everything was the exact same, then your unit's the same as anyone else. You have no advantage. Whereas with other some other things, um, it's why I prefer having like a piece of land so that on the land with well, depending on the property you can do different things you can knock down the property build a two if it's a bungalow build a two story or build a two units whatever it is right um you have some options to do things with whereas where if you have one share that is the same as one a hundred million of the other shares you there's you don't really have enough anything else that you you can differentiate yourself as well so you're kind of tied to some market forces a little bit more i'm not against stocks i mean i have i i don't have much stocks, i'm against them man I, you know i know you're, you're you're a nicer person than me i just i just feel like i'm always not well, getting we have that crazy life insurance policy that we have that we put in and they're they're yeah, investing no, in some i know but there's some tax somewhere. efficiencies yeah with it's, life for insurance policy. it's for the tax stuff i just stuff. mean with the stock market i never feel like i have an information advantage with a piece of real estate or an, my own business i feel like i can earn myself an information advantage because i can say i know that area in St. Catharines or Durham yeah. or Barrie. I know that street. I know what people pay for rent in that street. And I know that's a good deal. I know my yeah. costs are going to be like, I, I just feel like I have an information advantage with stocks. No matter what anyone tells me, I always feel like I think yeah. it's the control. Like you it's, have yeah, more control. Totally. That's it. what I mean. Yeah. That's you're what closer I mean. to your money. Uh, yeah. Cause there's not, and like, I have all the information about the asset. Yeah. The only missing information I don't have is what the bank of Canada is going to do with interest rates. Yeah. 
You know, where with stocks, I'm like, I don't know. Is the like if I buy a good dividend stock, like let's say Bank of Montreal, like Bank of Montreal is definitely a large bank and an amazing bank, I'm sure. But and we're not Bank of Montreal customers or anything, and they pay out a dividend and stuff. But I don't know. Like one day, are they gonna like if the U.S. financial has another U.S. financial crisis and the Bank of Montreal was like heavily invested in the in that in some way and then it affects it? Like then I'm just no, blind. I got you. Other CEO, CFO, there's all these other people in between you and your money. To me, it just comes back to control. Control. Thing. The closer you are yeah, to yeah. your money, the sa- to, in my opinion, it's the safer there is. No one cares about your money as much as you do. Maybe we're just control freaks. No, I mean, I don't know. Throughout history, I mean, that sense. If you just look at examples, that that's we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. No, but that, anyways, that, these trends. That's the thing. Yeah, I want to talk about the population. There's one more point I just want to make on that. I've literally never met a person in my life who said, "Tom, I made all my money by investing in the stock market." I've never met that person. I've met people who've made money elsewhere and then put it in the stock market, or I've also met money who have like good company um, stock payment uh, stock uh, plans where the company matches their contribution. So if you contribute like three percent of your salary, they contribute, which is like a hundred percent gain, and that's great. But I've really never met anyone who said, "Tom, I really have just gotten wealthy from the stock market." But I have met people who've had equity ownership in companies directly, like direct good equity ownership in companies or equity from real estate come and say, yeah, you know what? I've made this much money in my life and it's come from real estate. Like I've met lots of people like that. I've just never met anybody from uh, from purely going into the public stock markets, investing in stocks. So the trends I wanted to, to, to talk about is that if the U.S., b- based on all of these trends that they are having, if they decide to not raise interest rates and instead flush more money into their economy, Canada, like we were saying, is likely going to have to match that. Now, here's the flip side on our demographics. Our demographics here in Canada and specifically in Ontario are very different than the U.S. We don't have a declining, slowing population uh, growth rate. We have a rapidly increasing population growth rate and a rapidly increasing growth of adults in Ontario, primarily through immigration. So let me, uh, here's kind of like my hypothetical situation. In the U.S., they're going to have to flush in a lot of money to try to keep the economy going because they have a lot of people leaving the workforce, right? So it's kind of like people are leaving the workforce. So they're going to replace that with newfound cheap money. What happens when Canada matches that monetary policy? And But instead in Canada, we don't have a declining kind of population. We are going to have easy money and stimulus with a growing population base. To me, that's fire for a growing economy, like in a good way. Because if you have, uh, there's going to be some negatives to it as well. But if you have a growing population base and easy, cheap money flushing into the system, that economy, those, those are the two ingredients for the economy to grow. So like to me, it's like, holy smokes. Yeah, yes. But it can be artificial growth too. Oh no, and that's right. the negative I was going to yeah. bring up. It could be artificial growth, and it could, it could, it, and it might grow some asset classes like real estate faster than income. Well, it's, what, it's what's happened. Over it's the what's last happened. Summer, right? So I'm not saying it's perfect, and it's like you know, kind of like all unicorns and rainbows, but I just mean there might be a situation here where we're going to get some rapid growth in certain asset classes because we're going to have low interest rates, newfound stimulus money, with a population base that's not grow, uh, not declining, but it's growing. That's to me the mix here that like what happens to us here? What happens in a situation where Canada matches what the U.S. is going to have to do because of their demographics, but our demographics are very different. And if you look at all the projections for Canada's population growth, we're like double number two. 
Like our population growth rate is double that of what the U.S. is projected. Oh to yeah, grow. but on a per capita basis, we're number one. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah, we're number one. But and I guess what I'm trying to say is we're number one by a lot. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, like yeah. we're number one by a lot. And it doesn't look like the government of Canada, as we shared with Rockstar members, kind of on their uh, their monthly audio for Rockstar members. So if you don't know, for Rockstar Inner Circle members, we do a special monthly audio specifically for Rockstar members. And we did one recently where we just dove into the population numbers of right here in Ontario. And they're kind of fascinating. Like when you break down the numbers, the Canadian uh, government is not looking to decrease immigration over the next two, three, four years. If you look at the uh, federal government's website, well, what? I can't see my, my own my own URL, but the, one of the federal government's websites has the immigration level plans from 2019 to 2021. Each year it's going up. So like each year we used to have about 250,000, Im- that was the target for immigrants into this country. We're now at 330. Like percentage-wise, that's a big increase. 2020 is going to be 30, 341. 2021 is going to be like 350. And by the way, Canada did a horrible job meeting its target last year because last year was supposed to be about 310 when we had 400,000. <laughs> so whoever's counting the numbers that they're trying to do in here really kind of missed the mark. And it's part of what's driving the population growth in here. And it, the adult population specifically in, Ontario, uh, in the Toronto area is on the increase not on the decline because of this. So like, I mean, 15, um, the, the report that I'm looking at is a change in the population of 15 years or older, not 18. I don't know why they did 15, but it's on the increase. So I guess that's kind of like my big thing. I'm like, oh, hold on a second here. The U.S. is likely going to have to change its policies from tightening and increasing rates to lowering rates and flushing more money into the economy. And then if we mimic that situation here in Canada, where our population, even Ontario's projections are like that Ontario's gonna grow, it grew at like over 300,000 people last year, and they're projecting out it's gonna be at least 200,000, which I think is low. Um, yeah, because that's been what they've been saying for yeah. a long period of time. And they always miss the mark. Yeah. But if that's happening, we have a million more people coming into uh, Ontario for sure over the next five years. That's at our low projected mark. But it, it might, might, might not be another million people over the next five years. It might be another million people over the ne- if, if the current pace holds over like the next two and a half years. The, the population of Toronto is like 2.7 million people. I mean, over the next 20 years, we have another city the size of Toronto moving into this area at a time when interest rates are going to be low and there's more money flushing into the system. And I don't think it's going to be equal distribution of opportunity, to your point. I think it's going to drive asset prices because people are going to need houses and incomes might increase, but they're not going to increase on average as much as property prices may. So that's kind of like the interesting di- dynamic to me. I'm just thinking that I want a helicopter because I don't want to drive on the QEW or the 401 I when know. that happens. And and just another trend. Did you see in Milton how they said that uh, there was that, I, I think I sent you that yeah, Halton first condo. It's their first condo kind of uh, development that's going up right around the go train stations mm-hmm. we're just going to see more of that like every go train station in ontario is going to be a come a new hub for residential development yeah with retail because a lot of them are being built with some retail at the bottom so they'll yeah. be little they'll be yeah, yeah. little re- they'll almost be like little communities upon themselves yeah and, like, and, and you from, know like there's like 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 in in you know I'll, I'll go back to croatia like in the villages right there's like the the main kind of village area and then there's like the small kind of like there's like a small cluster of homes here and then you got to walk for five minutes to another small cluster of homes and then it's almost going to be like that i think i agree because right? look where our office is right here at the so we're we're at trafalgar in the qw at the oakville go station 
with the amount of la- with the zoning changes that they've made, the amount of land the ta- the the towns bought, the parking changes they've made to the go station, and the infrastructure plans for all around here with roads and stuff like that, this little area is going to in the relatively near future is going to swallow up a lot of residents with new uh, new housing and the retail at the bottom. Like it's going to be this little community within a community right here, this right at this intersection. Right, and it's not it, far down the road. It's, it's going to be within yeah, ten years. Hap- yeah, it's happening. It's yeah. basically happening. It yeah. looks like it's happening in slow slow motion until you look around. 10 well, because you later. see it every day. Yeah. Exactly, because you see it every day. So it's like when your kids grow up, you see them every day. You don't realize they get bigger. You look at a picture from a year ago. You're like, what the what heck? What the happened? heck is that? That's that's my son. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and I, I just want to share some specific numbers because I hate just throwing around stuff and not sharing specifics. The le- latest Ontario population data for the latest quarter being reported, which, which would have ended October first, two thousand eighteen, was eighty eight thousand six hundred sixty seven people that was the population growth if you extrapolate that to four quarters or one year it would be a population growth of 354,000 people in one year which is crazy and q3 notoriously has high numbers in ontario so that's not going to be accurate 354,000 people a year that's like too big um but it's well above the 200,000 that uh, that ontario's government seems to be forecasting so somewhere between 200,000 and 354,000 is likely where we're going to land. But that is a lot of people because if it, if it really stayed true to 354,000 people a year, that means every two years, a city the size of Mississauga comes into Ontario. So it's got to be slower than that. But even if it's slower, even if it's a lot slower, like every five years, that's like every five years, a city the size of Mississauga has to jam its way into Ontario. Like it's a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of what we're talking about when people talk about like when we see the headlines going back to the beginning, like the when we talked about like the headlines that are definitely going to say like, oh, real estate sales volume are down. And, and that might be accurate for it right now. I think people who really make money and wealth for themselves and their families have long term approaches and long term vision. And when we look at this stuff, that's what we're trying to have for ourselves. We're trying to be short-term paranoid with real estate and covering our asses at all times and you know, making sure our properties pay for themselves. But the long-term is that these trends look like they're coming this way. And do we want to own assets in an environment like this or not? And I think the answer for us is that, that we do, right? So... Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll say again, we're, it's not like we're tied to real estate. If there's other options that are can pay for you can you can kind of rent out so they can cover their costs. People will pay yeah, like off a self liquidating asset. Yeah. People if will pay off the asset for you, you know, all those things. Then, then, you know, I'm open for to anything. I, we don't want to, I always look around and pick an example. I'm like doors, chairs, I'll invest in chairs. If I can rent out the chair, it would actually be easier. If I could rent out these chairs by the hour and there was a long line of people willing to do it, I'd be all for buying yeah, chairs and renting the, the chairs. Oh my God, I forgot to tell you, yesterday in our in our Monday team meeting, uh, we had a plumber come in and a good guy, really good guy. His name's uh, Frank. And uh, maybe we should probably at some point share more about what he's up to. But uh, Frank came in and he, he's been in the industry for so long and he's we were talking about investing in real estate and how you have to deal with all like people think people who don't own it sometimes think you're making good amount of money and it's easy, but they don't see you behind the scenes, all the shit that you're dealing with when you own real estate. And he's like, you know, when shit hits the fan, you have to deal with it. And he's like, I've literally seen shit hit the fan because he had a toilet above a ceiling fan that was oh leaking God. and shit was coming out from the ceiling and it hit the ceiling fan and it was spewing around the room. Oh my god. So he's gosh. like, I've literally seen shit hit the fan. Anyway, so uh, that's what we... I've never heard that before. Yeah, 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 I never yeah, want to hear that again. No, I, I know, I know. So basically, if I was to sum this whole thing up, I just think with the US trends here in Ontario, we might be in this very unique position globally almost that gets both like 
income growth through a growing economy that won't be even. It's not going to be even to everybody, but there'll be some definite economic growth here. And that economic growth will likely drive appreciation of hard assets. So we are in this like globally, we think, very unique situation where populations are uh, slowing down. The growth rate of them is slowing down. Lots of retirees around the world, especially in the biggest economy in the U.S. I mean, Japan's been going through this for a long time. But here in Canada, we kind of have like the opposite trends happening. And, and I, I just want to say something because I think millennials kind of get a bad rap. From what we see about millennials, th they might have some of these economic headwinds coming their way. But they seem to me to have a, a very entrepreneurial spirit. And I think in these times, if you have an entrepreneur, it's from a bunch of the millennials we know, they're all kind of starting oh, businesses yeah. or yeah, trying yeah. different businesses. I think this is the right mix of ingredients to be really successful in your own entrepreneurial adventure, whether it's like real estate or business building in some other capacity. And in Ontario, with a rapidly growing population base combined with that entrepreneurial opportunity, I just think we're kind of blessed and I feel grateful and lucky to be kind of here where we are today like we have a lot of things going for us right here so unless shit hits the fan and we're totally wrong <laughs> but anyway that's what we think so uh nick that's everything i wanted to share just some thinking on wh where the u.s is at and how it might affect us yeah no it works for me i mean i always think you know i just think that watching what the u.s is is happening there is is more important than a lot of canadians give give credit because sometimes some people are like ah yeah they dismiss it the US. yeah it's so important it's still the largest economy in the world it's how we've been and able to predict low rates here for yeah. so long and it's direct it's our trading partner right next door like we're so we're so, way more tied to it than people realize like yeah. for everything we do right so yeah I, it's it's worth it's, and, and for we, us it's always been worth and we at. tend to ignore all the politics of it like the politics of the u.s doesn't really matter to us and the politics even of canada we just look at what the banks do like the central banks yeah and the bank of canada does here and that's been really useful to us it's allowed us to see through a lot of the crap yeah, especially the last couple of years, there's been a good argument to ignoring what Trudeau does and what Trump does. Yeah. <laughs> to ignoring them both has yeah, been a, a good, shit a good thing. Hitting, a lot of shit hitting the <laughs> fan on <laughs> yeah. different uh, different things. Having said that, if you see a leaky toilet above a ceiling fan, turn, run. Turn you don't want shit fan, hitting huh? your fan. <laughs> anyway, that's it, everyone. Hey everyone, it's Tom Crads again. So hopefully you enjoyed the little bit of that banter back and forth. I'm not sure if um, all of that made any sense when you're listening to it and you can't see some of the data points. So hopefully you got something from that. Um, and if you are wanting to get more real estate information, you go to rockstarinnercircle.com. That's our primary website for different real estate information. You can get a free access to our books on that site. You can get access to the weekly videos that we put out. You can read different blog posts and articles and get access to some of the reports that we put out all on rockstarinnercircle.com. You can also join our weekly email from that website in the top right hand corner there's a little box to join our weekly email list where we share all of this information on a weekly basis so you can join that um, email list right there i think that's it for now until next time everyone your life your terms